Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. We are MODIS, and we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, a new enclave and our refuge from the world above. Please, take your time and look around. The Colonel has made great strides restoring this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Welcome back, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. Before the war, the government went to extreme lengths to deal with the unrest that was sweeping the region. Technology was a means to an end, and the new enclave is about to come face to face with one of Appalachia's man-made monsters. And Major Stein has brought a guest to the bunker, a woman out of time who is harboring dark secrets of her own. While well, the rest of the White Spring bunker staff were busy dealing with more mundane matters, such as tracking the Blood Eagle remnants, spying on the Overseer in Sutton, or protecting caravans on the way to Morgantown and Crater, a different kind of conversation was going on amongst the members of Team Cryptid. Maybe it's a dragon. No, you idiot, it's not a dragon. But what about Scorch Beasts? Aren't they dragons? Biologically, they are bats, Lawson. Pretty big bats. Alright, that's enough, team. We can rule out an animal on this one. Too much evidence is pointing to some kind of robot. But sir, these damage estimates are far beyond anything we've seen before. Melted steel, smashed concrete barriers, and an unknown but significant number of dead. What are we dealing with? That's what we're supposed to find out, Skinner. We've gotten word that two more settlements were attacked. No survivors again. The only thing we've managed to recover is the remains of bots. Old strikebreaker protectrons. Gutsies and, if you can believe it, some kind of kamikaze eyebot. But why now? I went through the old reports and our original sweeps of the area didn't find much more than a few random groups of those mole miner things. And since then, the settlers in the region haven't reported anything either. Our sources, the ones still alive, Mentioned a presence of some old bots in Beckley, uh, leftovers from the riots before the war. But they've never been seen outside of the area. I know it's not a lot to go on, but we've gotten a few bits of information from the old DIA files. Modus uncovered references to a project between DARPA and Baishi, the big computer company, centered around the town of Lewisburg. Lewisburg? Used to be a tourist attraction, right? What would a big company like Bish want with a place like that? What about Robco? Wouldn't that make more sense? That was considered. In fact, the Colonel also believes that's a more likely target for investigation. Team Sigma has been ordered to check out the facility, which leaves us a bit short-handed. Which means? Well, Lawson, it means you'll be clocking some field time. Come again? While I trust the Colonel's judgment, I am also a firm believer that we cover our bases. Remember, we are Team Cryptid. We're supposed to think outside the box. Something just doesn't smell right, and whatever was going on in Lewisburg might be the key. Do we have anything else to go on? Lewisburg might not be that big, but Lawson's got to know what he's looking for. Captain Thompson smiled and opened a small manila folder. Pulling out several grainy black and white photographs, he handed them out to the team, who passed them around before giving the captain a quizzical look. Van Lowe's taxidermy. Yes, it doesn't make sense to me either, but for some reason, that's the listed address for the contract. One Calvin Van Lowe, proprietor of the shop, was the main contact. And here's the kicker, team. Before the war, Calvin was a cryptid hunter. You're joking, right? You can't make this up, Douglas. That's why I want Lawson to check it out for us. Of course, as usual, 
It'll be a low-profile operation. Just like the Unstoppables issue number 73, when Manta Man went undercover to infiltrate the Subjugator's underwater base in that crossover with Armor Race. Thompson barely managed to keep from rolling his eyes. Whatever you say, Lawson. I have your mission briefing scheduled at the top of the hour. You'll be heading out before the end of the day. For the rest of us, we still have a lot of investigating to do. After a chorus of yes sirs, Team Cryptid dispersed. Thompson slowly sat down behind the desk, taking the weight off of his robotic leg. He sighed, resting his cane on the metal limb. His upbeat outward appearance hid the phantom pain of his lost leg, and his off hours were spent self-medicating at the bottom of a bottle of bourbon. Not that he'd ever let that interfere with the mission. Team Cryptid had become his family, after losing most of his team along with his leg in the bog. Thompson fought constantly to make sure the group was taken seriously by the rest of the new Enclave. Despite some successes, it always felt like they were treated like red-headed stepchildren by the other teams. And the Colonel? Well, she was certainly supportive, up to a point. She'd been very clear that Robko was by far the most likely source of whatever it was they were investigating, and Thompson had argued strenuously for Lewisburg. It had taken all of his persuasiveness just to let her agree to send a single operative on what she considered a wild goose chase. Lawson was a good kid and an excellent tracker, but he had his head in the clouds sometimes with his comic book obsession. Thompson scribbled some notes on his briefing folder, including one in all capital letters, preventing Lawson from making any side trips to any of the old comic book stores on his way to Lewisburg. He also needed to make a trip to logistics. Reynolds was being a stickler for proper paperwork on requisitions, and Thompson wasn't going to send one of his team into the unknown without proper equipment. Thompson collected his papers and hobbled out into the bunker hallway. He had to do a double-take when he saw Major Stein escorting someone down the hallway, a striking young woman who happened to be cradling a pristine space helmet under her arm. Huh. They say Team Cryptid is weird. Stein kept looking over his shoulder at his guest, Commander Sophia Daguerre, bona fide astronaut, formerly the United States Space Agency, was still getting used to the brand new world she found herself in, and was constantly stopping to take in the sights of the bunker as they made their way down from the residential wing to medical. To her, the year 2077 was only a few weeks ago, when she had been launched into space with her crew on a top secret mission. Sophia didn't remember much, and then suddenly found herself crashing into the middle of nowhere in Appalachia, which was certainly not part of the program. Pulling herself from the wreckage, it had been all she could do to find an old bunker down the hill from the wreck. She'd been pretty badly injured, and if Major Stein hadn't found her when he did, she might not have made it at all. After patching her up and having a very long conversation about everything that had happened since she'd been in space, Sophia had been happy to follow the Major back to where he said would be somewhere safe. Little did she consider that it would be in, or technically under, one of the most prestigious resorts on the eastern seaboard. I can't believe all of this was built right underneath the hotel. <laughs> a few years before the war, actually. Funny story, most of the funding was pushed to the Department of Agriculture for secrecy's sake. Then I was posted here not long after. But you said all these people are from Vault 76, right? That is correct. So what happened to everyone else? Ugh. <sighs> That right there is a long story, Sophia. Let's get you checked out first, and then you could talk to the Colonel. Whatever you say, Andrew. <laughs> Though, it does feel a lot safer here than out there. Medical is right down here, so you don't have nothing to worry about. Dr. Harefield will be the one examining you. And trust me when I say you're in good hands. Are those headaches still bothering you? I thought it might have been when I hit my head but they feel like they're getting worse. You know, it's funny. Once in a great while, I get headaches of my own. Probably a side effect of being on ice for all those years. Well, what has the doctor said about your headaches? Mine? Um, it never occurred to me to mention them to her. The former astronaut gave Stein a bit of a look, but before she could say anything, they arrived in front of a large sliding door which opened to reveal a very annoyed Dr. Harefield. 
About time you got here, Major. I've been waiting for nearly an hour. Excuse me, Doctor, but our guests wanted to see more of the facilities. And stretch your legs a bit, too. That's all well and good, but... Oh, it was truly my fault, Dr. Harefield. I'm still getting used to all of this, and well, I'm sorry I made us late. Okay, okay. Anyway, let's get things started. Modus has been pestering me about this exam as well. You can always count on a computer being nosy. Stein and Sophia exchanged looks before following Dr. Harefield into the medical wing. The good doctor took pride in the expanded facilities. Well, it wasn't quite a full hospital, it was probably the best apportioned medical facility in all of Appalachia. Commander? Um, just call me Sophia, Doctor. Sophia, then. You can change in exam room three. Major, I'll let you know when we're finished. Can't Andrew stay? Dr. Harefield was a bit surprised by the use of the Major's first name. As far as she was aware, no one in the bunker called him that. It was always Major, or Stein. I'm sorry, there just isn't space. Sophia, it's going to be okay. I'll be just outside, all right? The doctor ushered Commander DeGarry into the examination room and closed the door behind her. Stein walked over to one of the guest chairs and took a seat. A stack of old guns and bullets magazines were piled on a small side table, and he picked one up to read. About halfway through an old article about the standard ammunition loadouts for the plasma weapons, Stein felt another headache coming on. Rubbing the bridge of his nose, he wondered exactly why he'd never mentioned them to the doctor before. But then he found himself drawn back to the article, Headache Forgotten, and hence no reason to worry the doctor about nothing at all. Major. Major! Sorry, Doc. Uh, got caught up. Dr. Harefield rolled her eyes and motioned for Stein to follow her. They walked back to the examination room, and Stein saw Sophia sitting on the gurney. So, what's the prognosis, Doctor? Well, credit where credit is due, Major. Your field dressings weren't terrible in the Commander's... I mean, Sophia's injuries are healing nicely. Physically, she's in reasonable shape for someone who's spent the last 27 years in orbit. Muscle tone is a bit on the low side, but that's to be expected. What about the headaches? Was it because of my injuries, the crash? That's the strange part. All your readings are normal. Now, this isn't CIT, but this is the best medical technology we have. If there is something causing them, I can't find it. Now, perhaps Modus might have a trick or two up his sleeve. Dr. Harefield. You are... correct. Modus! Sorry, didn't realize you were there. We are... always here, Doctor. Of course, Modus. I didn't mean... Well, as I stated, I can't find anything wrong with our patient. Is there anything else you may be able to suggest? We will... analyze the data from your... examination. We recommend... the subject remain in our... facility until we have a solution. Very good, Modus. Is he always so hospitable? He's an acquired taste. Don't worry, though. He and I go way back. If there's something behind these headaches, I'm sure he'll figure it out. I hope so. At least they aren't so bad right now. The best I can do is to give you some aspirin. I doubt regular painkillers would do much good, and unfortunately they're also in somewhat of a short supply. If they do get worse, just come and find me. Thank you, Doctor. I will. That's great! Now that that's over with, we can get you back upstairs. I know the Colonel's been interested in speaking with you. Now, fair warning about the Colonel. She can be a bit intense and... Word of advice, try not to stare at her eye. She doesn't like that. Her eye? What about her eye? Oh, you rascal. You totally jinxed me. <laughs> oh, wait until I tell you about Lilith. Lilith? What kind of a name is that? <laughs> That's right. My rambunctious little carnivore. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. 
available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story, available now. Modus, you have another assignment for me? Shadow, we do. The file for our new subject, Commander Sophia Daguerre, has been retrieved from the archive. Project Deep Sleep will enhance Phase 3. The equipment is up and running downstairs. Modus, should I proceed with our next target? Not yet, Shadow. The deep sleep file is incomplete. However, regional surveillance has detected another asset from the file, Dr. William Emerson. He is in Appalachia and also searching for our subject. We must acquire him and question him. Just point me in the right direction, Modus. I'll find him and bring him back in one piece. You have the standard cover story prepared. Yes. The necessary orders have been inserted into the duty log. Details on the target have been downloaded to your Pip-Boy. Very good, Modus. As always, a pleasure. What about the astronaut? She is in good hands. Our asset will manage her until we are ready for a closer examination. Can't wait. I'll report back as soon as I find this Emerson fellow. Good hunting, Shadow. Private Lawson ducked behind a derelict fire truck right on the outskirts of the abandoned town of Lewisburg. He caught sight of several ghouls on the way in, but then he saw a wendigo. Suddenly, what had been a nice jaunt around the ash heap took a very serious turn. Oh, jeez. What would Manta Man do? Lawson loved all of the Unstoppables characters, though the half-fish man was his personal favorite. As the ever-present ash fell around him, he peeked around the side of a badly rusted truck. He swore again when he saw it wasn't just a regular old Wendigo, which would have been bad enough on its own, but this was a glowing one. From what he'd heard from the others, they were among the worst, and the hardest to take down. The Wendigo appeared to be strolling down the street, followed by several of the ghouls, with some kind of bone in its hand, bringing it up to its deformed mouth to gnaw from time to time. Its arms were so long that its talons nearly scraped along the old pavement, and its glowing head turned from side to side, as if it was looking for something. Lawson was already behind schedule getting to Lewisburg. He'd been forced to detour around a previously unknown supermutant camp just outside of the Uncanny Caverns. Captain Thomason hadn't been happy about the delay, but there was little that could be done. Lawson finally made it to the outskirts of Lewisburg and had made a circuit around the small town, trying to get a lay of the land. In the train station just south, he found a clue, in the most unlikely way. There, on an old station billboard, was a large flyer, printed on old yellow paper. There was a picture of some kind of sheep monster thing that said, A sheep squatch ate my brother. Isn't that interesting? Better yet, the address listed at the bottom of the flyer matched up perfectly to his target location, Van Lowe's taxidermy. Per his orders, Lawson took a picture of the poster to include in his report. Now he just needed to get to the shop and see what he could find. Easier said than done. But first, he had to get past the Wendigo and ghouls in one piece, which was the sticking point. He wasn't a walking arsenal like some of the other operatives, and he really didn't feel like going toe-to-toe with a cryptid, only with his plasma rifle. Hmm, what would the Silver Crowd do? Probably jump out there with his handy submachine gun and kill them all. So yeah, that's not going to work. How about the Inspector? What would she do? Huh, probably use her magic to create a diversion and lure them away. And Man-to-Man, well, he's out of water. So he'd use his imagination. Lawson looked around again and spied a small pile of gas cans by some old picnic tables. 
reached into his pouch, he took out two fragmentation grenades. It wasn't a superpower, but it was explosive. He took a quick peek to confirm that the ghouls were still wandering, then pulled the pin on both grenades. He counted quickly to three, then threw them, one after the other, in the direction of the gas cans. The ghouls all perked up when they heard the grenades hit the ground, followed by a series of howls when they exploded. The twin cracks of the explosions and the fireball generated by the gas cans immediately had every ghoul in the town and the Wendigo heading in its direction. Pressed against the side of the truck, Lawson waited for them to run by, then he threw himself across the pavement, rolling into an alleyway. Picking himself up, Lawson peeked around the corner again. The ghouls were all staring at the fire, not paying attention to anything else. Score one for Manta Man. Lawson wasn't going to wait around and pat himself on the back. He needed to find this shop, investigate, and get the hell out of the area before those ghouls found it. As he made his way down the alley, he nearly tripped over a skeleton. That in itself wasn't unusual, but what the skeleton was wearing certainly was. It can't be. Lawson leaned over because he recognized the outfit. In the dark, it looked very familiar. It was a dress, with horizontal and jagged stripes. In fact, it looked exactly like the dress of the Mistress of Mysteries. You've got to be kidding me. Lying next to the skeleton, half covered by debris, was a yellowish-looking veil. A veil that looked exactly like the one in the comic books, too. Lawson's mission was temporarily forgotten as he examined the corpse. If he didn't know any better, then he could swear that he was looking at the Mistress of Mysteries herself. What's a comic book character doing in the middle of Appalachia? The howl of a ghoul snapped Lawson back to reality. Whatever this was, it would have to wait. He definitely was going to include this in his report. Lawson stuffed the veil in his pocket, snapped a quick picture of the corpse, and headed down the alley away from the horde of ghouls. Ending up out on the street in the next block, Lawson was surrounded by market stalls and displays, left over from the town flower festival from long ago. The bins and tables were filled with rotten wares and debris, making it difficult for Lawson to move around. Trying to move stealthily along the street, he went from building with building with no luck. He passed the town hall, a diner, more stores, until he finally he saw something at the end of the line of businesses which looked promising. Sure enough, as he got up to the front of it, its building sign said, Van Lowe's Taxidermy. Eureka! The front door was partially open already, so Lawson unslung his plasma rifle and entered slowly. Inside, he found the main shop, filled with stuffed animals and mounted bones. To his left was a big black bear, mounted on its hind legs, and in front was the cash register and main counter. Since he didn't want to be interrupted, Lawson pushed the mounted bear so it blocked it as part of the door, keeping it from opening from the outside. Not that he'd ever seen a ghoul try a doorknob, but you never know, right? That's what he kept telling himself, anyway. He spent the next hour searching the entire ground and upstairs floors. Lawson discovered a treasure trove of holotapes and terminal notes. From what he could piece together, Calvin Van Lowe had gone missing, and his sister was trying to find him. That's where the poster came from that he found at the train station. Calvin himself was not only some kind of computer genius, but he was also a cryptid hunter. He and his friends had their own club and had been chasing down various sightings in the years before the war. Lawson had grown up in Vault 76, and until he joined the New Enclave, he'd never even heard of cryptids before. He just assumed they were all mutants, born from the radiation left over from after the war. Now he realized the stories of these cryptids went back a lot further than that. It appeared that Calvin's cryptid of choice was something called the Sheep Squatch. It was some kind of giant sheep mutant thing that was supposedly roamed the hills of Appalachia, and the cryptid hunter's room was full of books, notes, and grainy photographs, all about the creature. According to the notes left by Calvin's sister, this fascination with the Sheep Squatch put a serious strain on their relationship and she thought it bordered on mental illness. Then Calvin had mysteriously disappeared. That had been bad then, and for Lawson, it was bad now. So far, he hadn't found anything linking Calvin Van Lowe to their mysterious robot target. As Lawson continued to search the rooms, he found Calvin's personal terminal. Outside of the Cryptic Club references, there was a section of security communications which required a password. Where's my secret Unstoppables decoder ring when I need it? Lucky for Lawson, Calvin left hints as to where the password could be found. He discovered a strange bone in a box under the bed, which fit neatly between the teeth of a mounted wolf downstairs. A secret compartment opened, revealing the password to the terminal. Just like episode number 35 of The Unstoppables. This was getting more and more interesting, and more and more like Lawson was living in his own comic book adventure. The encrypted entries on the terminal confirmed what Captain Thompson had suspected. 
Calvin was working on a top-secret project with the Bish Corporation and the U.S. government. There was also references to contacts named Little Bo Peep and Big Bad Wolf. Cool code names? Secret projects? Man, I need to thank the captain when I get back. This is the best. Way better than looting some old comic book store. Lawson copied all of the relevant files onto a holotape to bring back to the team, in case he missed something. But he wasn't done investigating the building yet. He hadn't checked the basement. Lawson squashed some rad roaches on the way down the stairs and had to kill a few rad rats who had made a nest in the basement. At first, it appeared to be a typical basement, with most of the space dedicated to laundry. There was even a note from Van Lowe's mother reminding him about the proper etiquette for washing his clothes. It's too normal down here. What would the Silver Shroud do? Lawson started tapping the walls and looking in every nook and cranny he could find. He also kept coming back to that note, because it didn't seem to fit. Nothing else in the house referenced Van Lowe's mother, and based on the state of the laundry room, it didn't seem to have been used very often. Even more interesting, both the washer and dryer still had power. But when he checked behind them, the water and the gas lines weren't hooked up. When he looked up on the calendar on the wall, he noticed that there was a little button, hidden, but it was there. He pressed it, but nothing happened. Going back to the note, the instructions appeared to be some kind of code. Lawson went over to the washer and set the wash to warm, while changing the temperature on the dryer accordingly. He could have sworn he heard a little click, so he reached up and pressed the button on the calendar again. The entire basement filled with the noise of machinery as the wall slid away to reveal a set of high-security doors. Lawson had to take several steps back as the doors pivoted and opened up, revealing a high-security laser grid exactly the type you'd find in a top-secret lair. Oh, this is totally the best day ever. Douglas is going to lose his mind when I tell him about this. Lawson did a quick check of the entrance to make sure he wouldn't get locked in, took a couple of quick pictures for the team, and then went inside to investigate. Whoa. That's a lot of blood. The first thing Lawson noticed was a massive blood trail leading down, or in fact, up the hallway. It looked like someone was either dragged or dragged themselves towards the first aid kit on the wall by the door. Beyond that, he ended up in a makeshift technical lab. There were piles of drawings, blueprints, and even a robotics workbench in the small space. A lot of it was beyond his knowledge to completely understand, but it appeared that Calvin Van Lowe had been building a robot. A big robot. The robotics bench terminal was password locked, but after some investigation and following more clues, Lawson was able to crack the code and examine Calvin's reports. He had hit the jackpot. Van Lowe was building a combat robot, all right, a really powerful one. There were references to upgraded head-mounted lasers, improved armor, and some kind of new shield as well. And for some reason, Calvin decided to dress the whole thing up to look like a sheep squatch. I guess Calvin's sister was right. He was nuts. When Lawson got to the last programming entry, he discovered where the blood trail came from and the probable fate of Calvin Van Lowe. Seems he accidentally overwrote the bot's core programming with his own sheep squatch mating ritual, which apparently resulted in Calvin's death. Details best left unimagined. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not right. Poor guy. Lawson downloaded the rest of the data onto another holotape, took some additional pictures of the various diagrams and technical specifications, and packed up as much as he could carry before getting ready to leave. As he was heading upstairs, he spotted something lying on one of the side tables. No way. It can't be. Sitting there on the table was an old, but nearly pristine copy of Unstoppable's number five. He'd never seen a copy in person, and rumor had it that even before the war it was nearly impossible to find. Like a kid on Christmas, Lawson snatched up the comic and flipped through it before carefully slipping it into his pack. Looking around one last time, he realized a full new Enclave team would need to come back and do an even more complete sweep of the building, on the off chance he missed something. However, he was certain that they had enough information to start tracking whatever this imitation sheepscotch was. Huh, not even the Unstoppables could have done better. Once he was upstairs, Lawson pushed the mounted bear away from the front door and stepped out into the late Appalachian afternoon. Right in front of the Wendigo, and nearly a dozen ghouls gathered around ripping into a radstag. Oh. No. The Wendigo was fast, very fast. As soon as it saw Lawson, it leapt forward, arms outstretched, and claws bared. It was the operative's reflexes that saved him, ducking at the last possible moment while the Wendigo missed his head by mere inches flew over him and into the taxidermy shop with a loud crash. The rest of the ghouls were slower on the uptake, 
but now they had risen from the Radstag corpse and turned their undivided attention to their next intended meal. Lawson tried not to panic, but he could already hear the Wendigo getting back up. He went from standing still to a full run onto the streets of Lewisburg. It was the stalls and tables from the festival that saved him, at least for the moment. He was able to dodge in and out of them, while the ghouls tripped, stumbled, or otherwise tried to run through them. When he reached the Main Street intersection, Lawson paused just for a moment to get his bearings, but it was long enough for the Wendigo to catch up to him. With a mighty roar, he jumped across the street and caught his pack with its claws, flinging him to the side of an old wrecked police car. Stunned, Lawson was still able to get his plasma rifle around and pointed in the general direction of the creature. He pulled the trigger and tried to hold the rifle steady as he fired a long burst of plasma at the Wendigo. Most of the shots went wild, but a few managed to flick the beast, knocking it backwards as it howled in pain. The other ghouls had turned the corner and started to charge. Lawson felt all fuzzy, but he kept firing at the creatures until the rifle clicked on the last cartridge. He reached down for a reload and came away empty. A quick glance down and he saw his ammo pack was gone. Oh, shit! The Wendigo was back on its feet, hissing at him and ready to charge. It was close enough that he could smell the death and decay on its breath. Time seemed to slow as the creature started to move, raising its claws. From down the street, there was a whoosh of a rocket launch, and Lawson didn't even have time to turn before the projectile corkscrewed its way directly into the Wendigo. The explosion knocked Lawson back against the car, his head whacking against the side-view mirror. In the moments before he blacked out, he saw several shapes shuffling down the street and the sound of more gunfire, then nothing else. Lawson felt someone, or something, lightly slapping his cheeks. Hey, kid. Kid, you okay? You still with us? Lawson struggled to open his eyes, and his head felt like it was full of cotton balls. It took several seconds for his vision to clear, and he found himself looking up at an elderly man wearing a ratty suit and a long, grayish-brown coat. The man's face was covered in scars, but he had a gentle expression and a small smile when he saw that Lawson was, in fact, alive. Who... who are you? Where am I? Don't try to move too much. I think you have a concussion. Here, have some water. The old man took out a canteen and brought it up to Lawson's lips, allowing him a few quick sips of water. Lawson put his hand up to his head. He could feel the lump from where he hit the car, and it'd probably be sore for days. As to who I am, my name is Fred. We, and by that I mean myself and a few friends of mine, happened to be passing through when we heard the commotion. Good thing we did, too. You either a mighty brave or very foolish strolling around Lewisburg on your own. Fred put down the canteen and sat next to the fire. Looking around, Lawson saw that they were on a rooftop of one of the Lewisburg buildings, inside an old greenhouse. Thank you. Didn't realize there were so many of those things around. We try to keep things reasonable around these parts. But the ash heap has a lot of places to hide. But what brings you so far from home? Home? The pit boy. It's a dead giveaway. You're a 76er, aren't you? Lawson tried to keep his cool and remember his cover story. Yes, sir. Been living up outside of Charleston with my folks. But see, I got this thing for comic books. Lawson reached into his coat pocket for his Unstoppables comic and nearly started to panic when he couldn't find it. Fred reached into his jacket and pulled it out, handing it back to Lawson. Looking for this? Gosh, I love these old comics. Used to have quite a collection back in my day. Lawson took the comic back and slid it back into his pocket for safekeeping. I collect them, and I heard a rumor there was a hubris comic shop around here someplace. Didn't find it, but I did find those ghouls. Only comic shop I knew around these parts was over in Watoga. Haven't been there in ages. Wouldn't recommend going either. Bad business over there in the bog. But the Scorched aren't that much of a threat anymore. The Queen's dead. Heard that too. But there are even worse things out there than those Scorched, believe me. You're pretty well armed for a scavenger. Fred picked up Lawson's plasma rifle, turning it over in his hands. Mighty fine weapon you have here. Haven't seen too many. Though those honorary blood eagles seem to have a lot of them. You aren't one of them, are you? 
Oh, no, sir. Picked this one up off a dead one, though. Fred laughed and went over to tend the fire. You don't strike me as a raider, anyway. Not too many of them are into comic books. You know, it's, uh, funny. My wife, rest her soul, loved all those great adventures. She was my very own Unstoppables character. The smile disappeared from Fred's face as he seemed to remember some events from the past. My favorite character is Manta Man. Everyone makes fun of me for it, but I just can't help it. He's so amazing. Of course. The Mistress of Mysteries was always my very personal favorite. Well, we're safe up here until morning. My friends had to go back south, but they'll be back. I told them I'd get you on your way in the morning. Thank you again. And I'd be happy to thank your friends, too. They aren't too fond of strangers. But I'll let them know. Here, I've made us some dinner. It isn't much, but it'll keep our bellies from rumbling too much. Fred and Lawson sat, ate, and talked for the next few hours, as the haze and smoke of the ash heap was blown further east by the breeze, exposing the night sky. Lawson tried to find more about what Fred had done both before and after the war, but Fred would change the subject to much more mundane matters. It was obvious there was plenty of things he didn't want to talk about. In the end, Lawson stopped pushing and settled down for a good night's sleep. Hi, I'm Fire Rider, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Lawson threaded his way through several caravans headed up to the western end of the Big Bend Tunnel. Blue Ridge Caravan ranch hands and guards were directing traffic either directly to the tunnel for passage or over to the Brahmin pens to wait their turns for transit. Lawson rubbed a lump on the top of his head. It still ached, but at least he was upright. When he'd woken up, Fred had been waiting for him with a small plate of food and some water. The old man had even found a few old issues of the Unstoppables. Laying around, he said, before helping Lawson put them in his backpack. The old man had wished him well and waved him off before throwing his cloak over his head and heading west down the train tracks, deeper into the ash heap. It wasn't until later, when Lawson had stopped for a rest, that he discovered the veil he found was gone. Looking back down the tracks, he wondered if there was more to old Fred, but it was just as likely that it had fallen out of his pack when the Wendigo struck him. Either way, Lawson still had a job to do, and it didn't involve fictional comic book characters. The colonel had placed a couple of undercover operatives with the Blue Ridge Caravan Company to keep an eye on their operations. The Big Bend Tunnel was their main base of operations, and it was close by, so it was Lawson's next objective. He needed to report in anyway, and their people would have a secure line set up that he'd be able to use. When he connected with their contact, he was brought to a small office towards the back of the encampment, where his holotapes were uploaded to a terminal for transmission to the bunker, and then directed to the radio. He was halfway through his report to Captain Thompson when he was told to hold for command. Private. Lawson felt himself stiffen. It wasn't Major Stein. It was the Colonel herself. Yes, ma'am. Good work in Lewisburg. We don't know if it's related, but Modus has detected some very unusual energy readings to the north of your current position. Since you are the closest field asset in the area, we'd like you to investigate. The coordinates are being downloaded to your Pip-Boy. Please confirm receipt. Lawson's Pip-Boy beeped and a new map popped up on the display. Yes, ma'am. Confirmed. Excellent. Investigate the location and report back. There was a pause in the transmission, but it wasn't cut off. Private, I've uncovered some troubling information here. Pre-war. Be careful and don't do anything stupid. There's an order. Now. Private Lawson stared down at his Pip-Boy. He pulled up the new map location, which showed a blinking dot a few kilometers from the tunnel, near an old scenic overlook. 
The warning from the captain weighed on his mind. In all of his field time, he'd never heard that particular tone before, and it sent a chill down his spine. Don't chicken out now, Lawson. What would Manta Man do? Uh, go find a big body of water to go jump in, most likely. The other operative looked at Lawson funny, but the private just smiled. Orders were orders, and he tried to be careful. He took a deep breath and finished uploading the holotapes before collecting some fresh supplies and asking the local traders if any of them had any comic books for sale. Unfortunately, he was out of luck, but he did manage to grab a couple of old hollow books, Tales from the Appalachian Hills. Well, not quite as good as the Unstoppables, listening to spooky stories did help pass the time. Restocking his ammunition, Lawson slung his plasma rifle over his shoulder and left the encampment, hiking up into the hills towards the blinking red dot on his pit boy. The hills of the Southern Savage Divide seemed unusually quiet. Besides the sound of the wind whistling through the nearly barren trees and down from the higher peaks, there was nothing else to be heard. Lawson had to climb slowly up the rocky slopes, carefully avoiding pitfalls and debris. Using outcrops as handholds, he wedged his boots into the rocks and then pulled himself up and over towards the top of the hill. When he reached the end of his climb, he ended up on a rocky plateau with several old electric transmission towers creaking in the wind. Lawson was truly in Indian country now. This part of the Savage Divide wasn't well-traveled, nor did it have many roads or known paths. The scenic overlook was still a ways off, but he wasn't going to get caught unprepared. He unslung his plasma rifle and slipped the safety off, making sure it was fully loaded. Lawson tried to move as stealthily as possible, moving from cover to cover. He ended up on an old game trail, probably made by migrating radstags. He was heading in the approximate direction of the overlook, and it allowed him to move a bit faster as well. About 20 minutes later, Lawson heard something coming up the path behind him. Oh no, what now? Whatever it was, it sounded big, and it was moving up fast. Lawson scanned the area and saw a big rock surrounded by low brush. He managed to duck behind it just as a super mutant crested the trail, followed by several others. Faster, brothers! Big metal man went this way! Lawson felt the ground quake as the super mutants ran by, followed by several hounds and even a floater tagging along for good measure. Unconsciously, Lawson had been gripping the sides of the rock, and he felt his fingers ache a bit as he forced himself to let go before he hurt himself. He could still hear the group running and thrashing around in the brush, more distant now, but still headed in the same direction he needed to go. Taking a few deep breaths, and thinking about what Manta Man would do in this situation, Lawson put himself back on the trail and followed the super mutants at what he considered to be a very safe distance. The trail continued up into the hills until it merged with an old road. He couldn't hear the super mutants anymore, but the tracks were easy to follow, and he continued along just as before. Lawson weaved in and out of the wrecked cars and trucks, sweeping left and right with his plasma rifle, but the surroundings stayed deathly quiet. Something just didn't feel right. The air seemed to have an electric feel to it, and he caught a whiff of ozone. The skyline in front of him lit up. At first, he shielded his eyes, because he thought it might have been a nuke. Sure, it had been a year since the last time an errant vault dweller had been able to access the silos, but one didn't take any chances in Appalachia these days. This wasn't a nuke, however. The bright light faded after a few seconds, and there was no sound of an explosion. Then it happened again and again, the same light flashing ahead of him. Lawson listened very carefully, and thought he might have heard gunfire, but it was faint, and he couldn't discern the type or how many. Crouching down, he continued to move forward through the cars, and now he could hear the sounds of battle. The pop of automatic weapons fire became clearer, and he might have even heard the howling of one of the mutant hounds. Suddenly, there was a string of explosions in the distance, followed by another long flash of light, and this time, he could see smoke rising above the tree line, and the tops of the trees were on fire. Every fiber in his being told him to get the hell out of there. No. The Unstoppables don't run. But just because he wasn't leaving didn't mean he was going to go charging in either. Still crouching, he sneaked up the road as the din of battle subsided, replaced by the crackling of fire and a smoky haze that descended onto the area. Lawson paused behind a tree and rechecked his map. He had arrived at the scenic overlook. Lawson glanced out from behind the tree. 
The area consisted of a couple of parking lots, filled with abandoned cars and buses, and a large playground. Now, however, it was also on fire, with the bodies of super mutants scattered about, along with several large ash piles, which you could only guess were more dead super mutants. What the hell? The wind shifted and Lawson could smell the burnt flesh from where he was standing. The air was filled with the smell of ozone, and he could feel the goosebumps rising on his arms. He listened and heard something. It sounded like... No, that couldn't be right. It sounded like a sheep. Lawson knocked the side of his head with his hand, seeing if he had gotten some ash in his ears or something. But sure enough, it sounded like a sheep, far in the distance, then faded to nothing. Over the sounds of the fire, he could hear nothing else. He swept the area one last time before gingerly stepping out from behind the tree. He waited several seconds, and when nothing happened, he slowly walked forward. Lawson passed an eviscerated super mutant on the ground, its body nearly torn in half by something, its organs spilling out onto the pavement. Kneeling next to the body, he found what appeared to be assaultron tracks, but these were larger than normal. When Lawson placed his hand on them, the prints were also warm to the touch. He walked the perimeter of the park, finding more tracks, bodies, and ash piles. When he walked by one of the wrecked buses, he had a hole blown directly into the side of it. Whatever caused it had cut a perfect circle and carved a straight path from one side and out the other. He found similar holes in the playground equipment and even burns on the side of the hill. Before he forgot, Lawson started taking pictures of the corpses, the tracks he found, and the other damage to the area. By a quick count, there were more than a dozen corpses and ash piles around. Weapons lay exactly where they fell, with no attempts made to scavenge or pick up any of them. The only other tracks were those of the bot. It appeared to make several circuits of the overlook, before disappearing into the trees to the north. Continuing his investigation of the area, Lawson had to pull out a bandana from his pack and tie it around his mouth and nose. While Lilith might have enjoyed the smell of roasted super mutant, it was enough to turn Lawson's stomach. Going through the debris, he discovered an old briefcase. It looked out of place in a children's playground so Lawson took it over to a nearby bench. Now what do we have here? The latches had rusted shut years before, so he took the butt of his rifle and smashed them open. The briefcase fell off the bench and spilled papers all over the ground. Lawson grabbed them before they could blow away, and a quick skim of them showed that they'd belonged to someone called Bo Peep. That was one of the contacts from Van Lowe's file. Lawson was flipping through the pages when he thought he heard something. Huh? Something made Lawson turn around. He didn't see anything, but something just felt off. He stuffed the papers into his pack and scurried behind one of the intact playground castles. His eyes darted from side to side, looking for any signs of movement. Get a grip. Manta Man would never get this paranoid. Just remember what he did in episode 88, when Doc Kami tried to brainwash him against his teammates. Checking his Pip-Boy, Lawson realized he was a few minutes late for his check-in. He initiated contact and started to upload pictures and data he collected. Little did he know that the increase in electromagnetic signals caught the attention of something else as well. Private, this is Thompson. Over. Lawson here. We've received your transmission and MODIS is beginning its analysis. However, we've also detected another energy signature in your area. Advise that you vacate immediately. Over. Lawson looked up from his pit boy. The smell of ozone was stronger now. Private, energy readings are increasing. Lawson could hear a hum rising above the sound of the wind. He raised his plasma rifle and tracked it across his field of view. So far, he couldn't see anything. Nothing was moving at all, besides the wind in the trees waving them back and forth. Lawson, answer me, son. What's going on, over? The hum had become a strumming sound, almost like a heartbeat. No, not a heartbeat. Steps. It sounded like steps. Lawson could feel the vibrations now, one after the other. Something was coming. Readings are off the charts. Get the hell out of there, Lawson. That's an order. Lawson seemed to be rooted to the spot. As much as he willed his legs to move, he wasn't going anywhere. Beyond the overlook, he could see the brush moving. Not with the wind, but against it. All he could see was some kind of visual shimmer. And that's when he realized he was witnessing the very thing he'd come to find. Ignoring his Pip-Boy with the captain's orders unanswered, flicked the receiver on his plasma rifle to full auto. Something broke through the tree line, shimmering in the light, but otherwise invisible. Lawson tried to line up his rifle on whatever it was, then he pulled the trigger and held it down, 
sending a concentrated burst of plasma directly into its path. Back at the new Enclave bunker, Captain Thompson looked down at the microphone in his hand. Lawson wasn't answering, and now they could hear the unmistakable sound of automatic plasma rifle fire in one continuous burst. The staccato sound reverberated across the operations center. All eyes were focused on the tactical map, which showed Lawson's position at the scenic overlook, apparently right in the middle of an enormous energy signature on their tactical console. The ripping sound of plasma rifle fire continued, as Lawson must have reloaded. They heard the sickening crunch of metal and the wild hum of an Assaultron energy beam powering up. The last transmission was enough to haunt them all. The comm link terminated, and on the tactical map, Private Lawson's position dot disappeared as a final spike of energy overloaded their remote monitoring systems. Captain Thompson dropped the microphone, and it clattered on the desk, breaking the silence that had settled across the operations center. He slowly exhaled, after realizing he'd been holding his breath. Thompson reached down with careful deliberation and placed the microphone back in its cradle. Get me the colonel. We were able to find Lawson's pack, along with a few other personal effects. We'll upload the data and get the printed materials back to the bunker as quickly as we can. Captain Thompson sat at his desk, hand trembling as he held the mic. He was still trying to process what happened to Lawson. I wish there was more we could do, Captain. But the whole area is a disaster. Whatever did this was, well, beyond description. Over. Thank you, Lieutenant. I'll let the rest of the team know. One final item since you're in the area. Our investigation of the DIA files mentions something called the Pylon Ambush Site. We have no idea what that means or what it could be, but Modus pinpointed a potential location we need to check out. It's on your way back, so I'm downloading the coordinates to your pit boy now. Over. Yes, sir. Looks like we can be there in a day or so. We'll report in once we've surveyed the area. Over now. Turning off the communications terminal, Captain Thompson sat back in his chair and exhaled deeply. He'd lost men before, several in fact, but this hurt him deeply. Lawson was a good kid. Weird, but once you got past the comic books, he was sharp as they come. He'd be impossible to replace, and the team was going to take his loss pretty hard. Lieutenant Thomas's team found the half-melted plasma rifle in Lawson's pack amongst the wreckage of the Overlook. It appeared he tried to fend off whatever attacked him, but he'd finally been cornered. The smart kid had, however, managed to save everything he collected. They found his pack stuffed behind a concrete barricade, where it survived the intense heat intact. Now Thompson had to go back to the team. They'd have little time to mourn as they had stacks of data to go through, and more importantly, find a way to avenge their friend and teammate. Thompson grabbed his cane and hobbled out of his office, back down to the hallway to the lab space his cryptid team had settled into. Captain Thompson. Colonel. I heard about Private Lawson. I'm sorry. Thank you, Colonel. Robco was a mistake, and you were right about Lewisburg. Modus forwarded the files to me, and this is indeed a much bigger threat than we realized. I know you're heading to brief your team. I wanted to let you know that I've elevated this to priority number one. You'll have whatever resources you need at your disposal. That's much appreciated, ma'am. And Thompson, find this thing and come up with a plan to destroy it. Yes, ma'am. The colonel saluted, then shook Thompson's hand. She took the loss of every member seriously, and in this case, she'd move heaven and earth if necessary to make sure the team cryptid got what they needed. Thompson watched the colonel turn and walk back towards operations. Now he had to break the news to the rest of the team and steal them for what would come next. Team Cryptid sat at their respective workstations. News traveled fast in the bunker, and they'd heard what had transpired from others who'd been in the communications room. Of course, they all held up hope that Lawson was okay that he'd report back in, or maybe was just wounded. But as the days had gone by, their moods had darkened with every hour of silence. Thompson entered the room, the metallic clack of his leg on the tile complemented by the tap of his cane. 
He looked at each of his team members and turned before placing the binder on the table. He dreaded this moment for days now, and he had to confirm what they all suspected. Team, and as much as we hoped otherwise, Private Lawson is dead. Emily quietly sobbed in the back of the room, while the others sat stoically in their chairs. When Team Sigma returns, they'll hold a service for Private Lawson. I know how deeply he'll be missed. However, we still have a mission, and now that mission is not only much more important than we realized, but it's personal as well. Thompson opened the binder and took out a set of briefs, handing them to each member of the team. Based on some of the information Lawson discovered, Along with an analysis by Modus, we've preliminarily identified this cryptid as an extremely powerful and experimental pre-war Assaultron. Assaultron? That doesn't make much sense. What were they doing with it down there in the middle of nowhere? It was someone's bright idea to give a government contract to some kid with delusions of sheep squatch. Modus found a few bits of information in the old DIA archives, enough for him to be... <laughs> as much as an AI can, very, very concerned. Not only does this appear to be one of the most powerful bots ever put into the field, but it's running on some seriously screwed up programming provided by accident by this Van Lowe kid. How's that exactly? It believes it's a sheep squatch. Douglas laughed for just a second before catching himself. The others just looked confused. Sheep Squatch. Some weird West Virginia version of Bigfoot or some such nonsense. Lowe was obsessed with the lore and decided to program his little experiment in such a way that it would act like, sound like, and be like the actual legend. Unfortunately for him, he accidentally overrode the Assaultron core programming and said bot ripped him to pieces. Emily turned green and the others tried to reconcile the idea of an Assaultron program to be a mythical monster. I know this is personal now, but that doesn't mean I won't expect the highest level of professionalism from you all. I just spoke to the Colonel. She informed me that this situation has been upgraded to a top priority mission. As of this moment, we are now leading Operation Encrypted. If you open your briefing folders, we'll start going over the assignments. After the briefing, Team Cryptid dispersed to get a handle on their new assignments. Thompson limped back to his office and collapsed into his desk chair. The physical toll of the past week had been rough. The more he had to move around, the more sore his leg got. Of course it was metal, so it didn't hurt so much as the strain on the rest of him. He reached into his side drawer and pulled out a half-empty bottle of bourbon. Thompson poured a short glass, watching the liquid swirl, and gave Lawson a silent toast before downing the alcohol in one swallow. The captain poured another slightly larger glass of bourbon and reached into the other side of his desk. He pulled out an old issue of Unstoppables number 5. Even before the war, it had been quite the collector's edition, and it was one of the only ones that Lawson hadn't been able to find. As luck would have it, one of the teams sweeping Watoga had found one in the old humorous comic shop and brought it back as a personal favor to Thompson. It was to have been Lawson's welcome back present. Thompson ran his hand down the slightly faded cover before finishing his second drink. Lawson had no next of kin and never really talked about his time in Appalachia before joining the new Enclave. Team Cryptid, for all intents, was his family. Thompson slid the comic back into his desk and poured himself a final drink. At least it would help dull the ache in his leg, but it did nothing for the pain in his soul. That he'd have to cauterize with fire. It's But the cry And nobody's crying But me Friends all over Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Colonel Valeria Faustina, XO1 King as Major Andrew Stein, Jessica Starr as Commander Sophia DeGarry, Aaron McNamara as Dr. Harefield, 
Nikki Sticks as Researcher Emily, Aaron Foster as Lieutenant Thomas, Josh Smith as Lieutenant Skinner, Mark Harsworth as Captain Thompson, Eric Gold as Private Douglas, Rob Cunningham as Private Lawson, Daniel Hawthorne as Lieutenant Shadow, Hammered as the Super Mutant, and Brad Williams as the voice of Modus. And a shout-out to the Apocalyptic Aristocracy Discord, home to a great group of fellow creators, the Robots Radio podcast community, and the rest of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, and the Elgato Fight Club, and the United Wastelanders Network. And finally, Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist, who provided the wonderful character artwork you can find on our website. Stay tuned for our next episode, our mid-season finale, Encrypted. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave.